Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. It is a joy to be here today. Hey, if this is your first time attending one of our physical locations, Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, here at Greenwood, if this is your first time watching online, someone has invited you, sent you the link, we want to issue you a special welcome. Can we give it up for all of our first-time guests today? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we also want to say welcome back to everyone who is not new today. Thanks for coming back and joining us for this series called Mercy. Um, it's amazing. I, I, my team is telling me that we've got folks literally all across the country watching from California to Florida to New York City, New Jersey, uh, Oregon, Ohio. We have folks watching, get this, in Germany. Can we give it up for those watching in Germany right now? Those of you tuning in, hey, those of you tuning in and from Puerto Rico, we want to welcome you. And those tuning in from Africa, we want to welcome you as well. So excited to have you. It's amazing that the reach that we're having, and we welcome everyone tuning in online. So we're in a series right now called Mercy. This is actually week number three of the series. And if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to understand this concept of mercy and what it means to us. I'm going to begin with a little bit of my story. Back when I was, uh, you know, growing up, I had these two brothers, two older brothers, still have them today, um, and my, my parents decided to have kids, uh, in, you know, one year in a row. Like, so at one point, we had three, they had three babies in diapers, okay, one after another after another, and so we were all close brothers, and uh, as we grew up, we actually were very athletic. My dad got us in all kinds of sports, and so when, it come, when we came to high school, all three of us were able to start on the high school basketball team. And so it's kind of this cool thing that never really happens back in the 1992-93 season. Long time ago. Okay? So that's when we were in high school. And uh, so the newspaper kind of caught wind that these three brothers were starting on the varsity squad or whatever. And so they came to the school one day to do this photo shoot to kind of do a story on me and my brothers and my brothers and I. And, uh, and so they, we were all standing there for the, for the photographer, like all looking tough. And you're like, you know, high school boys want to look tough. You ever see their football mugs and their bath? <clears throat> You know, so the guy says, you know what, do something goofy, do something fun. And so uh, my, I knew what my brother was going to do, my, other, my middle brother. I knew he was going to grab me because he, oh, he grabbed me every day. I mean, my life, he just, just was kept, he would just try to pin me down and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so he reaches over and he grabs me in a headlock and just squeezes. And right when he does that, the guy snaps a photo. This is a picture of what he grabbed. So the... <laughs> So it actually looks like I'm laughing there, but, but I, that's not a laugh. I'm grimacing. It is really painful. He's got my head. And, uh, and, and, and uh, what about this mustache right there? 
I mean, how many 16-year-old kids, you know, have a full mustache? You know, my brother is like this man-child growing up. He hit puberty real early. Um, and that's my oldest brother, Jimmy, there. He's more having fun. He's inflicting pain. Uh, but, but that was the story of my life growing up. And it was, a good, uh, it was a good childhood because it toughened me up. And I had to, you know, constantly, you know, fight my brothers and all that stuff. But a lot of times we think, when we think of this word mercy, we think of the, you know, when someone's got you in a headlock and, you, and they're saying, mercy, mercy. And then, you know, you know say uncle or mercy or whatever, tap out. Uh, but that really isn't the idea of mercy. The idea as we looked into the Old Testament, New Testament, the idea of mercy is basically the kindness of God. It's the compassion of God. It's the pity of God. We can definitely have mercy towards each other, but biblically speaking, the word mercy is just God's kindness towards his people. And we need it because the Bible tells us that we are supposed to be imitators of God, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, in everything that we do. In 1 Peter, Peter says we are to be holy in everything that we do. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, that the student is not above his teacher, but when the student is fully trained, he will become like the teacher. John said in 1 John chapter 5, uh, 2, 2, verse 6, that those who say they live in God should live their life as Jesus did. Wow. What an incredibly high calling for people of faith. Now, I know not everybody today is a Christian or a disciple or a person who follows Jesus. Our hope is that you would become one. But for those of us who are Christ followers, that is an extremely high calling. I remember reading this book, Mere Christianity, many years ago. And this quote, probably my favorite quote in the book, C.S. Lewis says this. Jesus came into the world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life that he has by what I call the good infection. Watch this. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. If you are a Christ follower today, the whole purpose of your faith is to become like Jesus, that the fruit of the Spirit would literally be your character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love, purity, courage, integrity, that you would literally become like Jesus from the inside out. Now, when I read those things and when I hear those things from the Bible, I think to myself, whoa, that's like an impossible mission. Like, who can accomplish that on this side of heaven? Who can become a little Christ? That's, that seems overwhelming. And when you take it seriously, and when you really say, you know what, I'm really going to become like Jesus. I'm going to become like the master. You suddenly realize there's a big gap. There's a big gap between where you currently are in your sins and failures and, old, and patterns and habits and selfishness and pride and ego and anger and lust to where Jesus is. And what we do with this gap is so critical for the future of our relationship with God. We can be overwhelmed by the gap and simply say, you know what, that's impossible, I can't do it, I'm going to walk away from church, I'm not going to read my Bible anymore, I'm going to stop going you know, to, to, to spiritual events like small group or whatever, I, I can't do it. Many people choose to do that and perhaps you're back after a long hiatus of, of leaving and coming back because you thought it was too difficult. Some people choose to, instead of walking away, they choose to settle in. They're just like, you know what? I can never do it, so here's what I'll do. I'll just be the average Christian. I'll come sit in the seats, sing some songs, maybe give a little money, but I'll never lead a small group. I'll never join the impact team. I'll never take the next step of giving back and serving as a Christ follower. I'll just settle in because I'm never going to be that good. I'll never be like him. I'll never be like her. And then some people turn to legalism, which is simply just a list of rules and regulations that 
almost every church seems to have of what you don't do or don't drink or what you don't look at or what, whatever, right? There's this, there's this list of rules uh, with, that, that, uh, that relate to music or dress or, or language, and that's really boundary marker spirituality. That's really just looking different on the outside when inside nothing has really changed. You know who are the experts were at that? The Pharisees in the New Testament. They had all of the outward rules checked, but inside Jesus said they were like dead men's bones on the inside. And that leads to hypocrisy and all kinds of toxic problems for the church. There is a different way. We don't have to turn to rules and regulations or settle in or give up. We can take the path of mercy, and that's what this series has been all about. God revealed himself to Moses, and he said, I am Yahweh, the God of compassion and the God of mercy. Mercy ends up leading us towards transformation. The path of mercy closes the gap, but we have to take it. So today what I want to do is continue the conversation. I want to talk to you about this enemy that we have. I want to talk to you about your adversary. See, as a person of faith, the Bible makes it extremely clear that you have someone who is working against you. He hates the fact that God has revealed mercy to you, that God through Christ Jesus has offered you reconciliation. His name is Satan. His name is the devil. Did you know that the word devil in the Greek actually means accuser? That's what the word actually means. Satan, the word Satan means adversary. The word devil means accuser. In your notes, I wrote this. You have an accuser. Someone who is accusing you constantly of the sins that you commit as a Christ follower. Remember the gap? The gap? When you, when you take Christ's likeness seriously, you suddenly realize there's this gap between where you are and where Jesus is. Satan loves to leverage the gap. There's this scene in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. John the Apostle gets this vision of this future event that takes place in heaven. There's this war where Satan is allowed to come into heaven with his demons and fight Michael the archangel with his angels. And they're battling in heaven and and John is seeing this future event and Michael and the archangels win the battle and Satan is cast out of heaven with the demons. And then John hears this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Watch this. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. Can I get an amen? He has been hurled down. He loses the fight. He loses the battle. But I want you to just notice here. I don't want you to focus on the battle itself. I want you to focus on what John calls the devil. What does John call Lucifer? What name does he give Satan? He gives him the accuser. Did you know that right now Satan is in heaven accusing you? of the gap. Hey, have you seen all of the lust in his heart? Can't stop looking at pornography, cheating, lying. Have you seen the envy in her heart, the jealousy? Oh, oh, hey, hey, you know the one that that supposedly is a Christ follower? Supposedly this one down here is one of your kids? Have you seen the selfishness that goes way down deep? Have you seen the darkness? Have you seen the hatred? Have you seen the lack of love in this disciple? The one you're calling one of your children? And he accuses you to the Father day and night. Wow, did you know that? 
this job. He's the accuser. Now, good news is God the Father doesn't hear any of it. He knows better. He knows Satan's grasping at straws. <laughs> it's, all, it's all he can do. So he, he doesn't listen to these accusations. Nevertheless, it doesn't stop Satan from trying. Why? Because he hates the peace that you have with God through the mercy revealed in Jesus Christ. He hates it. And even though he knows he can't get God's ear, he's trying day and night to get God to turn on you because of your sin. So he gives up, you know, and he comes back down to earth and, and, he, and he gets your ear. You know what he does? He starts to accuse you because he can't get God's ear, but he can get yours. Did you know that Satan cannot read your mind, but he can put thoughts into your mind? Did you know that? And so what he comes to, to do on earth is make accusations about your sin to you. He'll say, hey, you tripped up again. Christians don't act that way. If you were any sort of good Christian, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be that selfish. You wouldn't, you wouldn't skim off the top or try to cheat on your taxes. You wouldn't do this. You wouldn't cheat on your spouse and give in to lust repeatedly over and over and over. What kind, you're probably not a Christian at all. You're, if you are a Christ follower, you're a terrible one. You should give up. And Satan attacks you with accusations about your sin. He's the accuser, and he does it all the time. You're a terrible father. You're a terrible mother. If you were a great parent, parent, great parents don't do things like that. You're an awful friend. You're this, and he just relentlessly accuses you. You'll never measure up. You'll never, look, God would never use somebody like you who continually sins like the way you do. Accusation. Have you, anybody ever hear, hear these voices? Am I the only one? Anyone? It's not, your vo it's not your voice. It's the voice of the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy according to Jesus. Peter said that he's like a roaring lion walking around seeking someone to devour. And he accuses you. And, and what is his goal? What is his goal? You know what his goal is? I wrote it in your notes like this. The goal of accusation is condemnation. Pay attention. This is so critical. This might just change everything for you. The goal of Satan's accusations is condemnation. What is condemnation? Well, it's what Judas felt. See, Peter and Judas can be, can be used as a great example here. Peter denies Christ three times, and he feels convicted, and he feels terrible that he did it, and because he feels conviction, he turns from his sin, he receives mercy, and he becomes one of the most influential characters in the history of Christianity. What happens to Judas? Judas betrays Christ in, almost in the same way that, that Peter did. He, he took 30 pieces of silver to, to try to set Jesus up or put him in a position where Jesus would have to come out and exert his power and become the true Messiah of the, of the Jewish people. But his plan backfires. Jesus didn't come to rule with power. He came down to lay his life for, his, for our sins. And so Judas betrays Christ for 30 pieces of silver. He feels terrible about it. He feels condemned. And what does he do? Instead of repenting and turning to God for mercy, he goes out in the field. And what does he do? You tell me. He hangs himself. He commits suicide. See, the goal of accusation is condemnation. And the goal of condemnation is annihilation. It's destruction. And Satan accuses you so that you feel condemned, so that you will walk away from your faith. 
so that you will walk away from your relationship with God, so that you would believe that God looks at you and says, oh, I can't take you anymore, and the whole thing is off, and you walk away from church, and you walk away from your Bible, and you walk away from faith. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I'm here to tell you today, the good news is that there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ in Romans 8.1. Look at it. Look at it right here. Read this right here. Satan comes at you with accusations, but they will only work if you allow them to work on you. If you can understand that, wait a second, as a Christ follower, I belong to Jesus Christ, and there is no condemnation. Yes, I have sinned. Yes, there's selfishness. Yes, there's anger. Yes, there's outbursts of, 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 of lust or whatever sin that you, you struggle with. We're, we're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven. But that does not mean that you are to be condemned. Why? How can it be that there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus? Well, it's real simple. You have an advocate. You have an advocate. You have one who will go to the Father on your behalf and plead your case and say to your heavenly Father, hey, I know he's blown it. I know she's blown it. I've seen the selfishness. I've seen the lust. I've seen the materialism. I've seen the, 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 the power grabs and, and the desire for more material possessions. And I, I've seen it all. But this one, even though they blew it, they're with us because my blood has covered their sin. Listen, listen to me. First John, John, the apostle who wrote the book of Revelation, who wrote the gospel of John, also wrote first John, second and third John. Listen to what he says in first John chapter two. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin. Like the goal is Christ likeness. The goal is to be an imitator of God. However, we're not gonna make it completely. So when you sin, or if anyone does sin, which we're going to, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. And who is he? Who is he? He is, say it with me, Jesus Christ, the only one who's truly righteous. We have the Son of God who goes to the Father on our behalf and says, this one's with me. You know what, 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 what does the word advocate really mean? Well, it's this Greek word parakletos. And it's used of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. It's translated comforter. It's translated helper. It's actually attributed to Jesus in 1 John. John gives, it, gives the name to Jesus, the advocate, the parakletos. Look at what it means. The New Testament scholar William Barclay says this. It means to call someone to one side in order to use that person in some way as a helper or a counselor. When I was in middle school, in the sixth grade, there was this kid that kept bullying me. And, and like in the movies, like he would punch me and, and he would take my lunch money. And I was like this skinny little, you know, uh, 100-pound kid. And so, you know, it, you know it, was, it was messing with me. So one day I went home and around the dinner table, I think I told you this story before, but so bear with me. But I told my dad and my mom, I said, hey, I'm getting bullied at school. This kid keeps taking my lunch money. And my dad looks at my brother, the one with the mustache, his name's Jason, and he goes, Jason, take care of that tomorrow at school. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> well, the next day at school, Jason cut his lunch period. He cut his class, came to my lunch period, said, who's the kid? I pointed him out. He, I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'll take care of it. The bell rings. My brother goes over to this kid and just starts to beat the 
out of him. I mean, it is just, gets him in a headlock like this. Remember the one he had me in the picture? Got him in the headlock. I was like, oh man, he's, this kid's done. And he starts wailing on this kid and, and right in the nose and the kid's nose busts open and there's blood everywhere. It's blood on the floor. You know how in middle school when there was a fight, Maybe you don't know, but in my, in my middle school, there's lots of fights. The kids circled around and chairs are on the floor and they're all on the ground. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and after the teachers got him apart, you know, and I'm, I'm just, yeah, you know, never mess with me again, you know. <laughs> Paracletos. <laughs> now, that's probably a terrible, terrible example. Okay. But you get the point. You get the point. This is someone that comes, they're on your side. They come and and they plead your case. Like Jesus, when you blow it, when you sin, this is how mercy works. This is how we get mercy. Every Jesus comes to our side and he pleads our case to the father and says, I know they blew it, but this one's with me. My blood covers her sin every single time. You know, many of us don't really know what Jesus is up to these days. We don't. We have no clue. We know that 2,000 years ago, he spread out his arms and died on a cross. Three days later, he rose again so that we can have, you know, you know Easter and forgiveness and grace. That happened 2,000 years ago. But if you ask the average Christ follower, like, what's Jesus been up to since the cross? I don't, I don't know. We know what the Holy Spirit does. Like, he comes down and he lives in our heart. And he convicts us of sin and leads us into truth and, you know, all that stuff. But what does Jesus do? Well, somebody might say, well, I think he's at the right hand of the Father. Great. Has he been sitting there for 2,000 years? And if he has been sitting at the right hand of the Father, what's he been doing? Well, the Bible tells us exactly what he's been doing in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is there to condemn us, Paul says? It's a rhetorical question. No one, even though the devil is going to try to condemn you, he cannot do it. Why? Because Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God doing something. He's doing something. What is he doing? He is interceding for us. Wow. He's advocating for us every single day for you, every single time you blow it. What does the word intercession mean? It means a third party that comes between two others and makes a case to the one on behalf of the other. It's the same thing as advocating. This is the way mercy works. We blow it, we sin, we fall backwards, we backslide, whatever your weakness, whatever your sin is, Jesus comes on your behalf and he intercedes and he's been doing it for 2,000 years. You say, wait a second, time out. How does Jesus intercede for billions and billions and billions of people? Oh, don't get hung up on the timing. Come on, he doesn't function in the way in our realm of of, of time limits and 24-hour days. It's a whole different system up there in heaven. He's got plenty of space and time to intercede for all of us every time we blow it. The author of Hebrews puts it like this. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently and because because he continues forever. Consequently... Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost, which simply means he is able to completely save us. What he started, he will finish. He who began a good work on us will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ, right? He's able to save us to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. How is he able to do that? He tells us, since Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. Wow. (laughs) What is Jesus doing in heaven? He's going to the Father, And he's sort of 
applying the finished work of the cross to our lives every single day. It's like there's this button, you know, that you ever see those, those buttons that you hit, you know, on top of a desk, these red buttons, like, well, that was easy. I think I got a picture of one for you. <laughs> you ever see these? It's like, and, and you hit it. It's like there's a button in heaven that says, you know, redemption on it. And every time we blow it, or maybe it says mercy, and every time we blow it or sin, Jesus goes before the Father and goes, mercy, mercy, mercy. Every single day, his mercies are what? They are new Every time we blow it, he's interceding for you. It's called the ministry of intercession, and that's Jesus' main role in heaven. Now, when you hear that, I know that's, that's, that's exciting. It's maybe be encouraging. Sometimes I think that, okay, that's great, but man, he's got to be exhausted. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. He, we blow it so often and so frequently it, it, it almost seems like Jesus is, would, would have to like drag himself back every day before the Father and say, oh, back again. This idiot over here blew it yesterday. Forgiven. See you tomorrow. You know? I mean, it almost feels like, haven't we exasperated him? I mean, gosh, it's been 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Isn't he tired isn't he going to the Father as our advocate or intercessor begrudgingly or, 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 you know, just against his life? Isn't he tired of this? I think that way sometimes because we blow it so frequently. But I don't think that's true. I think that Jesus intercedes for us with empathy. In fact, I know he does. He never gets tired of going to the Father on our behalf and pleading our case, saying, Father, I, I, I know, I know, I, they blew it, but this one's with us. My blood covers their sin. You say, how do you know that? How do you know he doesn't do it begrudgingly or reluctantly? Well, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter four says this, watch this. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. No, 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 no. We don't have a, a God who's able to like, like, what are they doing down there? I don't get it. I told them not to do that. They did it anyway. They did it year one, year five, year fifth. Like we don't have a God. Jesus is not a God who, who's disconnected from us or doesn't understand our temptations and sins and weaknesses. Listen, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, Jesus became a man and lived as a man and did not leverage his powers at God. He, he did at certain points, but he lived as a man in a man's body so that he could understand the temptations of what it's like to be a man. To struggle as a human being, to find a place in this world, to find your identity, to find purpose, to struggle with all the temptations around him, to, to, to strive for money and to strive for power and, and, and to have sexual sin, and, uh, sexual temptation around him. Jesus was tempted in every single way we are. Tempted to leverage his body as the mo his most important asset as our world tells us to do today. Tempted to, to pursue wealth and possessions to give himself a sense of importance. Tempted to, at one point, grab power for himself prematurely when the devil said, just bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. There was no temptation that Jesus did not face, yet he did not sin. Why? 
Why did he do that? So he could empathize with you. So that he could understand. So that he could go before the Father for thousands of years if needed and say, forgiven, redeemed, this one's with us. See, Jesus gets us. Psalm 103, verse 14 says this. He knows how weak we are and he remembers we are dust. The first man, Adam, listen, was created from the dirt. God took some dirt from the ground, formed a man's body, breathed his breath into that man, called his name Adam, and that man died and went back to dust. He knows that we are made from dirt. And he says, I get it, I get it. I understand it. So he doesn't go begrudgingly. He goes joyfully and willingly before the Father on your behalf. And he says, this one's with me. My blood covers him. My blood covers her. That's how mercy works. Now, the question for you, the question for me, what do you do with this? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Oh, it changes everything. If Jesus Christ is your advocate, if he is interceding for you on your behalf at the right hand of God every time you blow it, what does it mean for you? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 16, the next verse. So, if we have a God who's, who is able to empathize with us, who's been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin, if that's true, which it is, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his what? His mercy. That's where we get his mercy, and we will find grace to help when we need it most. See, here's what I, in your notes, I wrote it like this. You can turn to God with confidence for mercy. You can turn with, you, you don't come sheepishly back to God when you blow it, when you fall into selfishness or some sort of sin that you struggle with, whether it be alcohol or drugs or lust or whatever. You don't come back, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll come back to God. God, will you have me? God, are you sure? Well, am, am I okay? Like, we don't come sheepishly. Look what it says. Let's go back to the verse. It says we come boldly, not because of our uh, uh, you know, goodness or our abilities, but because we have an advocate, one who comes to our side, one who intercedes for us. So we blow it and we sin, and yes, we shouldn't, and we should feel convicted, but then we turn back to God with confidence and with boldness because of who Christ is. We come on his merits, and he says, this one is with me. This one is redeemed. You know what this does for me, and, and, and I hope this I hope this will do this for you, this, this has massive ramifications for, for your life as a Christ follower. Because on the journey of life and, you, you, you know, on the journey of faith, you're going you're gonna to slip up and you're going to mess up and there's gonna, the sin's going to happen. You know, it could happen at a roundabout, could happen at a drive through Taco Bell. It just could happen. I mean, these things happen, you know. And what do you do? What do you do in that moment? Well... You turn back to God, and you say, hey, I blew it. Jesus, can you help? Yep. The advocate kicks in, the intercession happens, and mercy is applied. And here's the result of that, and I've noticed this because I've been a Christ follower now since I'm seven, I was 17. I'm 43 now. I don't know how many years that is. It's a lot of years. What that has done for me from age 17 to 43 is it has built consistency into my walk. A lot of Christ followers do this. 
Oh, I'm close to God. Things are really good. I'm hearing him. I'm reading the Bible. I went back to church. It's January. Oh, well, and then, you know, I got busy and I fell back into sin. I started going out with my friends again. I hooked up. I was on Tinder. I slept with somebody, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'm back to church again, man. I feel, I feel good. I feel, feel you know, I, I repented. I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. And here's what happens. This is funny because this happens. You know, it happens as a pastor. Like, some of you I don't see for, like, months. And then you come back to church, and then you come see me. It's like, hey. <laughs> I'm back. It's like, I know. Where you been, bud? It's been three months. Well, you know, I just, oh, I just got off a little bit. Why did you get off? Why did you fall? Like, I understand everybody sins. I sinned, too. Like, in the last three months, I have sinned a lot. I didn't leave because I turned back from mercy. So this whole thing of up and down and up and down, it goes away. And you become consistent in your walk. I love what George MacDonald said. It's one of my, he's a Bible commentator, and he was commentating on Hebrews chapter 4. Listen to these words. Our confidence comes from our knowledge that Jesus died to save us. But, but here's my favorite part. And he lives to keep us. Jesus is alive. We got done singing a few moments ago. We, you keep hope alive because you are alive. He's able to save us to the uttermost because he lives to make intercession for us. He died to save us. He lives to keep us. Oh my gosh, that's a game changer. He's alive right now interceding on your behalf every single time you blow it. That keeps you in the game. You never backslide. As soon as you blow it, you turn to God with confidence for forgiveness. And this keeps your faith steady and moving forward. And you know, in the end, in the end, and this is beautiful, the, the gap starts to close. It never completely closes. We never fully become like Christ in this life, but the gap starts to close. Because when you realize the cost of mercy, far from, from, from receiving it as a license to sin, thinking, well, if I'm going to get mercy, if Jesus is going to hit the button and say redeemed every time I sin, well, I might as well go live it up like the devil. Far from thinking that way, you, you feel, you sense the preciousness, the cost of what mercy costs. You, you, and you don't abuse it. I've got three children. I would never, ever let any one of them die for any one of you, ever. But God, on the other hand, says, I will have my one and only son die for you. Wow. He gave up his prized possession so that you could receive mercy. We don't, I don't even understand love like that. You would never allow your child to die for me if you have one. But God says, I'm going to give my child for you. And when you see the cost of redemption, the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, you don't take advantage of mercy and the gap starts to close and you become more like Christ. That's why mercy leads to transformation in our lives. You have an advocate. Man, I hope this talk changes your life. It has absolute, this idea has absolutely changed my walk with Christ. Now, as we wrap up today, I'm gonna go back to what John said. John said, we've got this advocate. Every time we sin, he goes before the Father. He pleads our case. Look what he says in verse two. That was verse one. Jesus himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, okay? He's talking to believers. Not only for the sins of believers, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus said it like this. For God so loved the world. What does that mean, the world? 
It means every human being that's alive today. Not just Jesus didn't, didn't die just for our sins. He died for the sins of everyone. If you're watching right now, he died for your sins. If you're at one of our physical locations, he died for your sins. He died for the sins of every man, woman, and child across the entire globe. And if you've never received his mercy, you need to step into it now. Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins. God is a merciful God, but he's also just. And he had to deal with sin. The penalty of sin is death. It was either you or his son. He chose to have his son pay for it on your behalf. Will you receive that mercy today? All you have to do is reach out in faith. I did it when I was 17. Maybe you'll do it today. If you feel drawn into this moment by God, by the spirit of God, don't deny him. Don't push him off. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm asking you to respond to the mercy of God. Receive Christ as your savior. If you feel led to do that right now, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own, and put your trust in Christ today. Just say this to him. Dear Jesus, thank you for being the sacrifice for my sin. I believe you died in my place to atone for my sins, to forgive my sins. I trust you. I believe in you. Thank you for your love. I receive it today. Thank you for your mercy. I receive it today. I place my faith in you. And from this day forward, teach me to walk in it, to live in mercy, to take the path of mercy. When I blow it, to turn with confidence back to you. Because Jesus, you're my advocate, interceding for me. Thank you for this gift of mercy. I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory to us, amen? Come on, nice and loud, all of our campuses. If you just trusted Christ, what we would like to do, if you're at one of our physical locations, you can text the word SAVE to 65248. We would love to get a starter kit in your hands. There's a Bible inside of this box, some instructions on how to get connected to the church, and there's also a coffee cup in here just to say congratulations. You can text the word SAVE to 65248 and grab this at the information desk at your location. If you're watching online, you can text the word SAVE to 65248, and we will send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory, amen? Will you pray with me? And then we're gonna dismiss to our local teams. Heavenly Father, thank you that there's always hope. You keep hope alive because Jesus, you are alive, interceding for us, advocating on our behalf, pleading our case before the Father, saying that your blood covers us every single time we sin. Give us the wisdom to turn back to you with confidence every time we blow it, to steady out our walk, to close the gap between where we are and where you've called us to be. Help us to become little Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We're gonna hand things off right now to the local teams. We'll see you next week.